every circumstance I believe that you are my fortress Oh, you are my portion You are my hiding place I believe you are the way The truth The life I believe you are the way The truth The life I believe you are Through every
Well, welcome to Southwest Christian Church. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning, whether you're here in person or watching online, you know, it's all good. It's all good because you have made the decision to follow our Lord and seek what he has for you. And, you know, that's the way. That is the truth and that's the life. So I'm just thrilled that you're here and with us this morning. Got a few announcements I want to make sure I hit uh, for you all. And that is, um, if you haven't grabbed communion in the back, make sure you get grab a communion so you're ready for that later in service. Um, we have midweek coming up uh, this Wednesday. It's, it's October. And so that's, uh, yep, the 5th. And that's it's going to be, it's, it's just such a great way to, to, fill your, to fill your life middle of the week with the life, you know, the way everlasting life. And so I encourage you to come to that. It's um, great when we get to see each other and, and encourage each other at that. And I know it's tough during the middle of the week. Next thing, the Torah, 100-day study on the Torah. That's a lot, a lot but you know, um, it's easier, again, when we do it together. And this is what's really cool is this is on um, this is on the app, the Bible app, version. There we go. And so if you get your phones out right now, I'm going to wait just a little longer. If you get your phones out right now and you can get close enough to scan that QR code, it'll work. It'll get you plugged in with us. Or if you want to type in that tiny URL, or if you're like, ah, I can't do that fast. Don't worry. We're going to have these out next week, these QR codes around. So just be ready. Be here next week so you can scan that and get plugged in and do that study with us and uh, together. Um, as the last one was really good. Next, we have our work day, uh, our serve day coming up. Um, also here, just right around the corner in October. And it looks like there's two different windows for that, but I encourage you to come, get plugged in in that way, and uh, just help out around the grounds. And then we have trunk or treat at the end of the month. Be thinking about what you want to do, how you want to design your trunks, a um, little competition to who, see who's got the best design. And it's just a lot of fun to do that for our community. And lastly, just want to encourage you to check out the ways along the back that you can get plugged in, because it's one thing just to come here in the morning it's another thing to start to make relations and um, walk alongside one another um, and serve as Christ has called us to serve. And one of those ways is also giving. And you know that the three different ways we do that here. So I encourage you to check that out and continue to be faithful and trust him with that, with your time and also your finances and all of the above. Would you stand and worship with us this morning?
know he's moving this morning, church? Because he is. He's in the sound. of your love to the to this broken world that they might see you and know you lord praise in your son's name amen let's continue to worship created to 
Well, I love seeing you all together. I love getting to see you guys greet one another in love um, in Christ's name. We're going to sing this next song. It's an old one, but a goodie. Uh, and then I'm going to do a quick communion explode after the song. We'll take communion. So if you forgot already, <laughs> go ahead and go grab that in the back. But we're going to go ahead and sing No Other Name. Ha! 
next time of the service, um, we're going to worship our God as we reflect specifically on the triumph of the cross. And, uh, you know, all those songs just had such, you know, I wish I could give communion expos on all of them because they're all about Jesus, right? They're all about him. And I think about that last one before that run to the Father, the part that gets me on that is we, when it says we fall into his grace, just helplessly falling, right? And it says, again and again and again and again. I love the repetition in that because, man, it, it hits me like every single time. Like I just keep screwing up again and again, but his grace is unending. And we sing that in so many, and uh, a lot of the lyrics and all the other songs as well, singing about his grace. They're good songs, right? <laughs> but I just pray that they would be more than words that you would sing. I do want you to reflect on them as we take head into communion, but I want you to apply them to your life because if Christ died on the cross for our sins and we're baptized and our old life is done and we're raised to a new life, like I said last week, we have to live a new, or in other words, a different life, a life that is dedicated to him, a life where he is the one name above all other names. He is the king, and we are not. So as we head into communion, I just pray that you would thank him for his amazing love to his people. What a great king he is and how personal he is. Go ahead and take this time um, and spend it in communion with the Lord.
Good morning. My name is Cody Shepard. I'm the student pastor here at Southwoods Christian Church, and it's my honor and blessing to be able to to give the message this morning. Like many Americans, on the morning of September 11th, 2001, it started off as a normal one for Michael Higson. Higson was working from the 78th floor office of the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City. And as American Airlines Flight 11 rocked the North Tower, chaos ensued all around Higson's office. Higson was the highest ranking executive in the office that morning, so it was up to him to direct his employees and visitors to safety. What made this story even more amazing is that Higson was blind since birth. Higson was accompanied by his faithful guide dog companion, Roselle. Higson had to fully trust and rely on his guide dog to get him to and everyone else to safety, to lead him and all of them to the stairwell and down 78 floors and out to safety. Mike, Michael Higson and, and others who are blind understand one reality. When we can't physically see, then we need someone else to be able to show us the way. Spiritually, it's this true as well, isn't it? Each one of us has been in this same boat. At some point in our lives, we have been blind to the truth and we have needed someone to be able to show us the way to the truth so we can have life. By showing the way, Roselle showed great love for her owner by guiding him out of danger's way into life. Why? Because it was the only way for him. There was no other way that Michael was going to be able to find his way to life. Today we're going to read some of the most controversial words Jesus ever spoke. I'm going to be up front with you all today. We're going to be going through some pretty heady stuff today. Uh, There's a lot of detail stuff that I've been honestly wrestling through. It's kind of some stuff that I've been personally going through and, and kind of learning about. So I encourage you to lock in and join me for this journey. And because of this, I also may be a little bit more tied to my notes than I normally like to be because I want to be very careful with how I communicate God's message today. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word that guides us and directs us. Lord, I thank you for the presence of Jesus in our lives. Lord, as we talk about you being the way, the truth, and the life, Lord, let us open our hearts to that reality Lord, guide my words this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn to John chapter 14 for our study, but as I always do, I want to give you a little bit of background on this. This John chapter 14 takes place during the Last Supper of Jesus before he goes to the cross. This was a uniquely unsettling time for those who followed Jesus. They, they have been following Jesus for three years, and, and they have been building up to this pinnacle moment for Jesus coming in, and they think he's going to become king, which he does become king, but not in the way that they anticipate. They think physically he's going to take over all authority. They've seen him come in as the, with the masses celebrating his entry into Jerusalem. They have seen him dismantle the arguments of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he has been found blameless before everyone. And they are fighting for positions of authority in God, in Jesus' kingdom when he takes full authority. But now it's the final night of Jesus' life. 
And Jesus is now completely flipping the script. Jesus is now telling them that the position of authority is actually in washing other people's feet. He's telling them these men who have given up everything in their lives for three years to follow him. He's telling them that they're going to be falling away and unfaithful to him even that very night. And on top of all this, Jesus is telling them that he will be leaving them very soon. Let's be honest. For the disciples and those around Jerusalem, this was a night of absolute chaos. In the next 24 hours, we see what ends up being one of the most chaotic moments in all of history. Let think, let's just think about this. We see the biggest betrayal of all time. We see Peter boldly cutting the ear off of Malchus, one of the guards, and then Jesus heals the ear, and then Peter responds by denying him multiple times. We see all the disciples scatter. Jesus was held illegally for an illegal trial. The people turned against Jesus and chose a murderer to be free over the Son of God. Jesus is placed upon a sinner's cross and hung humiliatingly for all to see. And eventually Jesus freely gives his life on the cross for the Father. It is or to the Father for us. It is in this moment that it gets even crazier somehow. When the skies turn dark, a blood moon rises in the sky. The veil in the temple is torn into two. An earthquake happens and even dead people come to life and walk into town. Pretty crazy stuff. It's so amazing that even the Ro a Roman soldier and those who attended to Jesus at the foot of the cross admitted, surely this was the Son of God. Jesus knows all that is going to happen. And so Jesus gives his followers the way to navigate this chaos that is about to ensue, not just for the next 24 hours, but for the years to come. It was during this last supper that he chose to speak words of comfort to his close friends. It's amazing to consider the love that Jesus has here. He knows what he is about to suffer and endure. He also knows that not, not a single one of his close friends really understand what's going on, and honestly, they're not even really supportive at all. They've been fighting for position. They'll fall asleep when he pleads to them for support, and they all scatter when it becomes too hard. Jesus knows in the end he's going to be alone. And yet in his final moments with his friends, he has great love for them and considers what they're going to be going through in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. When we read this passage, consider the amazing, gracious love that Jesus is sharing with his friends. He is giving them comfort in the chaos. In some ways, we live in a circumstance very much like the disciples. Now, the details might be different, but we live in a world that is very much filled with chaos. We hear daily around us people preaching their views to the, of the world that there are many ways to live our lives. So choose your own. There are many different truths that you can live. None of them are true for everyone, but you can try to make them true for you so long as they seem to work for you. But then if, if it doesn't work for you, feel free to abandon them and find something else. In fact, since truth can be fluid and changing, so can your identity. Do whatever makes you feel happy. And in the end, we find ourselves completely unhappy. 
feeling utterly alone as the building crashes around us because nobody loved us enough to show us the way out. So consider this, just as Jesus spoke this message of love to his disciples in a time of chaos, this is also the same amazing, gracious love that Jesus wants to share with you this morning to stop your fears and to give you comfort. Let's turn together into John 14, starting with verse 1. Follow with me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way where I am going. Before the full weight of the fear and the chaos ensues, Jesus is trying to give his followers a certain amount of peace of mind. In fact, he's actually trying to cut short the fear that is already starting to encroach on their hearts. A better translation of this is actually stop letting fear, stop letting your hearts be troubled. You already believe in God. Believe in me in the same way. God is in control. If you trust God, then put the same trust in Jesus. He's got this. He is as trustworthy as God. And then we read that just like Mr. Miyagi or any good teacher, he's already let them know about without their realizing that he's revealed to them the place or the way of where that he is going. And of course, it's Thomas, doubting Thomas, who replies, no, we don't know, Thomas said. We don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? And it is at this point that Jesus utters some of the most powerful words in all of eternity. The type of words that give a solid foundation to the believer and shake the foundation of every skeptic. These are the words that pierce the heart of all self-righteous people and the words that humble the proud. These are words that give purpose and grace to the lost and to the broken and put fear in the hearts of the rebellious. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In our ears today, those words become some of the most divisive words that could be uttered. No one can come to the father except through me. These words become exclusive. In a world where there are so many doorways that are presented to us as a way to God, and to find ultimate fulfillment, Jesus states here that he is the way, the only doorway. There is only one way to God. Surely it can't be so, right? How can the pathway of God be so exclusive? Is God so unloving as to have only one doorway? There's a lot for us to wrestle with here today. And for the rest of the message, I want us to unpack these powerful words that Jesus has just revealed to his followers, what they mean, and why they should give comfort to the believer, direction to the uncertain, and fear to the rebellious. Later in verses 20, 28 through 29 of this, this chapter, Jesus reveals to them that he is going to be going back to the Father. So ultimately, he has revealed to us in this chapter that our ultimate destination is the Father for him and for us and that he is the way to get there. 
Today, I'm going to look at this passage actually through a lens, a lens that I'm guessing most of you have never looked at before. I really hadn't looked at this lens of looking through this passage until recently. And at the beginning of the Old Testament, Adam and Eve stood in the presence of God, didn't they? Then they sinned, and at this point, they were cast out of the garden to the east away from the presence of God. And many years later, as Moses and the Israelites were at Mount Sinai, After receiving the Ten Commandments, God makes a covenant with his people and sets up a new way for them to be able to be in the presence of God. But it wasn't like it was in the garden. This way, back into the presence of God was more representative in manner. It ultimately required a high priest who was able to go to God on our behalf. God had the people actually create a physical place called the tabernacle for his presence to dwell among the people. So while you keep John 14 in your mind, I also want us to look at Hebrews chapter 3. And actually, honestly, you could read the whole book of Hebrews and find a lot of stuff on the wealth of this this information here. And in these passages, the writer of Hebrews hints to us at the connection of this tabernacle to Jesus. Follow along with me. And so, dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those those called to heaven, think carefully about this Jesus whom we declare to be God's messenger and high priest. For he was faithful to God who appointed him just as Moses served faithfully when he was entrusted with God's entire house, the tabernacle. But Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise than the house itself. For every house has a builder, but the, the one who built everything is God. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant, But then I want you to catch this. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the Son, is in charge of God's entire house, and we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. The writer of Hebrews references Moses here for his and his faithfulness in in the instructions to build God's house after they left Egypt. The tabernacle was the first and longtime house of God for Israel. It would, when, when the, they moved, the, the tabernacle would move with them. And it literally means to dwell. Tabernacle means to dwell. And God would dwell among the people. But then the writer of Hebrews there says something fascinating. He says that what God built through Moses in the Old Testament was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. What are the truths that God would reveal later? I believe the tabernacle is symbolic of Jesus' role in bringing us back into the presence of the Almighty God. Through Jesus, we are able to enter through the gateways of the tabernacle into the very presence of God, where we can find ourselves accepted by Him. In the tabernacle, there's three filtering doorways, if you, if, I guess so to say, into the presence of God. And let's look at these gateways quickly and, and see what they reveal to us today. Each of these gates, were, they were entered into by going westward, which remember when Adam and Eve were banished from the presence of God because of their sin, they were sent out to the east. And this westward movement into the tabernacle was to symbolize the process of turning around from your own sin, from our sin and Adam's sin, and going through the process to reenter into the presence of God. It is a process of turning away from our way, our truth, and our life in order to seek God. 
you will find that as we walk deeper into this tabernacle and closer to God, we are also unlocking deeper and deeper parts of ourselves to be open to him. So let's start our journey into the presence of God. Here's the first gateway, the way, the outer court. Around this courtyard was a a linen fabric wall to separate the world from the sacred. The tabernacle was something sacred and protected away from the world. It was not to be entered into in a sacrilege manner. That's why there was this outer area. It gave an area by which people could physically be made right. Just as our bodies act as a protection against the world, so this outer gate and the outer court within it served as a protection against the world. This, this area was uncovered, symbolic of our visible selves. These are the things that are done in the open. The, this gateway was the way that allowed our bodies to be made right with God. Just as the other doors or gateways, there was only one gateway into this court. It is in this area that sacrifices were made and ceremonial washings took place by the priests and the Levites. All the Israelites were allowed into this area to participate. This was for anyone to come and to make restitution for their sin. Jesus declared, remember, that he said he is the way. When Jesus made this statement, he was saying that he is the way to return to the presence of God. He is the movement of turning from the unsacred to the sacred. There are no other gateways that can lead back to the presence of God. Just as people entered into the court and washed themselves and made sacrifice for their sins, the tabernacle reveals two ways that, through Jesus that our bodies are able to be made right through God. Through the sacrificial blood of Jesus, the acts of our sin are made right. And through our baptism, through our washing into him, our condition of sin is made right before God. These things make our bodies right before the presence of God. These items literally prepared the way of the Lord. When Jesus says that he is the way, he is exclusively saying that there is only one way to God. There are no other gateways to him. But isn't that too exclusive? Isn't that unloving? And my answer to you would be yes, if it wasn't true. But if it is true, then it is the most loving reality ever presented. It is the way from death into life. The fact that there is only one doorway is exclusive, but everyone is invited to that door. The only reason you can't enter that door is not because of Jesus. It's because, I mean, he presented himself as a sacrifice for all to see. Max Lucado says in one of his books, he says, uh, to, to, to show who could enter grace, Jesus had his arms spread as wide as he possibly could and had him nailed there as a symbol of all who could be accepted. I love that image. The only way we can't enter into this doorway is because of our own stubborn and rebellious rejection of the doorway. Literally, the only way we don't enter this doorway is if we choose our way instead of his way. Jesus is the only way. After these two processes of dealing with our bodily sin, then, then someone was ready for the second doorway or gateway. I'll use those interchangeably, as you probably noticed. Let's continue on with our journey into the presence of God by going through the second gateway. Here's the second gateway, the gateway of truth. 
the tent into the tent of the holy place. Though many could enter into the outer courtyard, only the priests could enter through the next door or gateway into the building structure of the tabernacle. These priests were representative for the people to God on their behalf. And entering into this area moves us into a covered tent structure. We are now in an area that is not outwardly visible. It is in this area of the tabernacle tabernacle that our soul can be made right with God. Our souls are basically the unseeable but non-eternal parts of a man. That means it can include our mental, behavioral, emotional, or personality aspects of our lives. It is in this, the, the, this area of the tabernacle that we are confronted with the truth. This gateway into this area was actually marked by five pillars. In fact, all throughout the space, the, everything that was there was kind of measured out in proportions of five. And in the Bible, the number five is symbolic as both a number for the law or truth, consider the, the five books of the Torah, but also as well as grace. And it may seem that odd that this number can, has the capacity to represent both of these things. And yet it is in Jesus that we find equal measure of truth and grace. For most of us, we like to shy away from truth. We don't like um, that, that light of truth shining on the darkness of our sin. So we, we turn away from it in shame and fear. And yet for those who needed redemption in the time of Jesus, they found people who most needed it found the most comfort in his presence. For people who are self-righteous, truth pierces us. But for those who are humble, truth becomes a salve of grace for our soul. In this area of the temple, we have to wrestle with the truth of who Jesus is. We, have, we may have been fine to let him clean our bodies, but are we willing to let him clean our souls? Are we willing to accept his claim of who he is? Within this area of the tabernacle, there were three items that reveal to us the roles that Jesus has in making us right with God. The first two items we find are a lampstand and the showbread or the bread of presence. These items reveal to us that Jesus came to be the light of the world and the bread of life for us all. The third item is the altar of incense. This shows us that Jesus is the beautiful fragrance of offering that is offered to God on our behalf. These were the offerings and prayers to God on our behalf. Jesus is the light of truth that drives away the darkness. Jesus is the truth sustenance that our souls need. Jesus is the true one who speaks to God on our behalf. The truth of Jesus' fulfilling of these things should bring each and every one of us to a heart of worship because it allows us to realize our own inability to make restitution for our sins. But grace be to God that Jesus has taken our place and become a beautiful offering to God on our behalf. This gateway symbolizes to us that after repentance comes both truth and grace. After we repent of our ways, we need to accept the truth of God's way. What Jesus says in John chapter 14 is that he is the truth. He is saying that there is, there is such thing as a truth, an absolute truth that is not dependent upon yours or my feelings 
or our circumstances. When Jesus was before Pilate at his trial, he said, you say I am king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. Just like the way, doesn't this seem super exclusive? Doesn't this seem unloving? And my answer is the same. If truth was completely dependent upon our feelings and, and, and circumstances, then this would seem unloving. But if there are truths that never change no matter the circumstance, then it is the most loving reality that could ever be presented. In fact, the, reli- the, the reality of absolute truth gives each and every one of us a firm foundation which we can build our lives and guide our lives upon. It is something that doesn't change in a world of chaos. And when the world is spinning out of control, we can still find a firm foundation in the truth of Jesus. This is how our souls can be changed. When we accept the truth of who Jesus is, it makes us, it makes our souls right with God. It can't only be our outsides that are changed. It must also, our inward lives must be redeemed and changed as well. This comes through the truth of Jesus and the word of God. And when we profess the reality of the truth, we are loving people by giving them a foundation for life and a security for their soul. It is in this truth that we can find grace. Truth reveals our sin and our need for grace. You see, if there is no truth to sin then there is no need of grace from sin. Truth and grace come hand in hand. Each of these three elements of worship in this room of the tabernacle were created through a crushing, through a grinding, and through a pressing. It is through this process of refinement, through grace and truth, that our lives are made as an acceptable worship before God. This process is not a simple one-time process, but a lifetime of refining ourselves through both truth and grace and continuing to find amazement in the sacrifice of Jesus' life for our atonement. Now let's step through the final gateway into the presence of God. The final gateway is the life, the holy of holies. If all the priests could enter into the holy place in the tabernacle, that is not true for this last doorway. Beyond this final doorway was a smaller chamber called the Holy of Holies, or Most Holy Place. In this smaller room was the Ark of the Covenant. On the top of the Ark was a special area called the Mercy Seat. This was seen as the throne of God. And even though God is omnipresent, a big word that means everywhere, He's present everywhere, this location was seen as a special place for God to dwell in the middle of His people. This second chamber could only be entered into by the high priest one one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, and only with a blood sacrifice. The high priest would enter the most holy place with smoke from the altar of incense to help shield his view and sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant to atone for the sins of the people. Anyone who entered into this chamber when he was not supposed to would be killed. In fact, they would hang bells on the waist of the high priest. So when he went in and all of a sudden, maybe they stopped hearing the bells jingling for a while, they would assume maybe the the sacrifice was not accepted, that he was dead. And so they would 
begin to pull them back out. This high priest was representative of all the people and all the priests to God on their behalf. All the acceptance of the nation rested on his head alone. Can you imagine that pressure? God, Jesus can. Inside of the Ark of the Covenant were three articles that remind us not only of our unfaithfulness to fulfill our part of the covenant but with God, but also God's continual faithfulness to still fulfill his end of the covenant with his people. These three articles remind us of our humanity. They are inside of the ark. And above the ark were the outstretched wings of angels or cherubim. Upon this seat was the very presence of Yahweh God. This is where his glory rested, the Shekinah glory. This throne was called the mercy seat. Doesn't it seem a little ironic that this is called the mercy seat, considering all the danger that it was to enter into this location? And yet it is most definitely the mercy seat. For if inside the ark there are things like the Ten Commandments and the manna and the Aaron's budding staff that are reminders to us of our unfaithfulness to him, then they are also reminders of God's faithfulness in spite of our unfaithfulness. And between this reality and the very throne of God is one thing, blood. You see, it is the mercy seat because God chooses to view us through the lens of Jesus' redemptive blood. And what should be viewed as our unfaithfulness is now seen, in, seen as faithful through the blood of Jesus. Amen? It is in this final area of the tabernacle that our spirits can be made right with God. Our spirits are the things that are eternal in nature. They are the things that are the most innermost essence of who we are and the things that, that are most valuable to God. Our spirit is the final step of being made fully right with God and being able to be found accepted in his presence, just as Adam and Eve did in the garden. When Jesus says that he is the life, he is exclusively saying that there is only one true fulfilling life, both in this life and in eternal life. The words here that Jesus uses is actually, the Greek word is zoe, which in our English it gets translated as life, but Zoe is so much more than that. It is a complete fullness of life. It is a life that is complete in everything, in all of us, in how we were made to be, body, soul, and spirit. Each of these areas of the tabernacle that we have gone through, we've had to wrestle and get right with God in all these three areas of our lives. And now we are found complete and full before God. There are not dissenting factions within our body or soul or spirit. Zoe is where our whole lives are consistent and integrated into a person that is much bigger than ourselves. Did you realize that in all of God's creation, it seems to be that only humans have the true capacity to live below our purpose? You know, dogs are good at being dogs, right? Cats are good at being cats. Trees, they're pretty good trees. In fact, even scripture talks about how creation worships God in its own way as it fulfills its purpose of glorifying God. And yet humans, we have this amazing capacity to live well below our purpose. We hide, we skulk, 
we avoid, we pervert, we hurt. We take this life that God has given us and we have the capacity to throw it in the trash. Or at least we smother it to death with worry and fear. Fear becomes the driving force for so many people. Fear happens when we don't rest in Jesus' power, purpose, plan, and provision. And in fear, we devalue and deface the life that God has given us as well as everyone around us. And then Jesus steps in. In John 10, 9 through 10, in the NIV version, here's what it says. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. See, faith restores humanity. Jesus restores us to living out our purpose as his most prized of all creation. So many people focus on what happens after they take their last breath instead of finding a life that can take their breath away. Jesus wants to give your life so much purpose and reality that you can have a complete life and then afterwards be completely with him. That's the amazing thing. When we give up our lives to Jesus, we actually find that it was more full than it ever was in our own hands. Jesus' flesh becomes the veil by which we now not only access, have access to God, but also we find full acceptance into his presence. It is through this final gateway that our life is actually spared or given. It is here that we come face to face with the one who gives us life in all ways. He is the one who breathes life into us, just as he did Adam and Eve. Through Jesus, we are no longer separated from the presence and the love of God, but now are able to fully receive his love through the atonement made by Jesus. So when Jesus says in John 14, 6, that he is the way and the truth and the life, he is saying that he is the gateways into the presence of God. Just like the gateways in the tabernacle, Jesus is the way to deal with the condition of sin and the acts of sin in our lives. He is the gateway to worship through the mutual works of grace and truth. And by these works of grace and truth, we are able to withstand the, this crushing life, the crushing of this life gives us, only to find ourselves made refined for the worship of God. And he is also the gateway into life, the very presence of God. Let me say it maybe this way instead, more simply. Jesus is the way to the Father, the truth of the Father, and the life giver. Hebrews 9, 11 through 12 and 24 says this, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. When Jesus died on the cross, three gospels report that the curtain of the temple, that barrier between the holy place and the holy of holies, 
was supernaturally torn in two from top to bottom, so it wasn't by man-made hands, but by the hands of God. This torn curtain symbolized that the way to God was now open to all through the death of Christ. The blood of an animal was no longer needed. Hebrews 10, 19 through 22 explains, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. That is why this is the loving news. This is the most loving thing that anybody can ever share with us. We don't have to live life in fear. We don't have to live life in chaos. This is the comfort in the chaos that God wants to give us. Jesus is revealing to us that the destination is not a place, but it's, it's found in, in the acceptance uh, in the presence of God. The way is not a, a direction, but a deliverer. Jesus has taken three doors and he has made them one door. The process to God is not found in the articles of the tabernacle or the temple. The process to God is now found through a relationship with Jesus. He literally is the embodiment of God on earth. Or as I like to say, he's God in a bod. Remember what Jesus says in John 14, 7. If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. We can find comfort in knowing Jesus, but the amazing thing is, I'm not going to go through this, but the rest of the chapter reveals even more. If John, the beginning of John chapter 14 tells us that we can have comfort because of Jesus, the rest of it lets us know that he's also going to send us the comforter to be with us. Now the presence of God isn't just among you. The presence of God is possible to be in us. God is isn't setting his, up his residence in a tabernacle. He is setting it up in you. So let me ask you this question. What does this change for you? Does it change anything? Because it should. And it should for me too. Jesus' statement is very exclusive. But only to those who want to follow their own way. Jesus' statement is meant for comfort, but it only gives comfort to those who accept Jesus. Jesus' statement is meant to give life, but only to those who forfeit their own life. These are some of the hardest words that have ever been uttered, and yet they are the most life-giving words to those who receive it. I pray with all my heart that you receive these words today. Will you pray with me? Dear Father, thank you for giving us these words, but not only just words. Thank you for giving your life.
Lord, it hurts my heart to know that there are people who are lost and lonely and living in chaos and that they don't know the way, the truth, and the life. And I am so sorry that I live my life sometimes more fearful of how people will treat me. than the life-giving words that I could give them. Lord, I pray that each one of us humbles ourselves, receives what you want to give us, the way into the presence of God. I pray we step through each of these doorways into relationship with you. And Lord, I pray above all that we do not keep this truth to ourselves. It may be it may be very divisive, but Lord, it is the it is the truth that gives life. So let us be free in giving that, just as you did to us. Dear Father, guide us and direct us. Place your Holy Spirit within us, the comforter. In Jesus' name. Amen. Before you leave this morning, I do want to I do want to stop for a moment and say, if you have any questions over this, I would be more than happy. We kind of hit some big stuff, and I'd be happy to digest some of this with you. But I also want to offer to you, if you have any prayer requests that you need prayed through, or you want to consider things like baptism, I would love to talk to you about that. So if you want to talk to me, feel free to, you can shoot me an email call, but I can, I'd also be happy to, to talk with you right after this. Uh, But other than that, I love you. Have a great week.